week seven, Elijah series. Excited to be with you all this morning. Um, this is, we got about two or three more weeks of this study. And, um, you know, last week we talked about the, the fire falling from heaven, the Mount Carmel moment. That is a rallying cry sermon, right? It's, an, it's one of those just inspiring stories that we love, and I love it. It's probably besides or alongside the parting of the Red Sea is the greatest miracle in the entire Old Testament. Uh, one of the greatest miracles besides Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. It's, it's up there for sure. Today we're going a little different direction. We're going to talk about the next day with Elijah. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, when Ahab, who's the king, right? When he got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Okay, so what we have here is, Eli- is Ahab, the king, going and telling Jezebel, the queen, all that had happened, right? This is a tattletale moment from the king. And if you're familiar with many of the kings in the Old Testament, all of had a lot in common. They were childish, they were insecure, they couldn't think for themselves. Many of them, all, the, all those evil kings that we encounter in the Old Testament were childish, insecure, and couldn't think for themselves. And we see that here with Ahab as well. He is the most evil king in all of Israel in this run that they've had of like 19 kings. And in this moment, he hasn't gotten his way, right? Elijah showed him up, killed all of the prophets of Baal, and now he's going and he's pulling on mommy's skirt saying, they took my toy and I don't know what to do, Right? That's what Ahab's doing right now. He's telling her all about it because he doesn't know what to do. And so she responds to all this by saying, pay attention to the words here, y'all. May the lowercase g gods strike me and even kill me. If not by this time tomorrow, you are dead just like the prophets you killed. She is threatening Elijah in the name of the gods That Elijah just defeated the day before, right? It makes no sense. It is laughable. Like the day before, all these prophets are dancing around their altar, cutting themselves, chanting from, from dawn until dusk, and nothing happens. And she says, she has the audacity the next day to say, hey, by these gods, I'm gonna get you. That is the very definition of an empty threat. Right? That is the very definition of an empty threat. And you, you know what, y'all? When it comes to the enemy, every single threat is an empty threat. Every single one. Because he is swearing by the name of someone who's already lost and has no authority and power. And so here is Elijah, right? The day before, he has seen fire fall from heaven. He has slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal. And on top of that, The coolest part of the whole thing, or maybe the funniest, is when he outruns Ahab's chariot on the way back to Jezreel, right? (laughs) Right? If there was ever a moment for Elijah to be feeling himself a little bit, it's right here. So, of course, he's not going to listen to these threats. He's going to laugh in the face of these threats. By the gods, are you serious? Did Did you see, did you hear what happened yesterday? You know what happened to all those prophets of your lowercase g gods? They're all dead. They couldn't light the fire. So, of course, Elijah isn't going to listen to this empty threat. Hmm, here's the thing. Elijah is a man just like us. Remember that? That's the whole theme of this entire thing. Elijah's a man just like us. And so he should respond by laughing in the face of this threat. 
But he doesn't because he's human. Instead, this is his response that we read in verse uh, 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Okay, so a couple of things, a couple of reasons why Elijah reacts the way he does in this moment. The first one is he believed a lie. He believed a lie. And that lie is that Jezebel had any authority over him at all. Listen, y'all, when we believe lies in our life, the only thing that can happen is something negative. No good thing ever comes from believing a lie. No good thing ever comes from believing a lie. Why? Because who's the father of lies? Satan. And his entire objective, his entire goal is to steal, kill, and destroy us. That's it. Now, on the other side of the coin is Jesus. And he is only truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not based on day to day. Jesus is only truth. And if all good things come from our Father in heaven, then that means that if it's not truth, then it's not good. Y'all following with me? And so the only result of believing a lie is something negative in our lives. So when we open the door to believing a lie, we are opening the door and inviting destruction into our life. Because the only thing that comes from believing lies are bad things. Because Satan is the father of lies. Jesus says it in John 8. He says he only tells lies. There is no truth in him. So there's either Jesus in truth or there is lies in everything else. And so Elijah in this moment, he believed the lie. He believed what he heard. He believed that threat, even though it was a ridiculous statement of lowercase g gods, an empty threat. He's like, oh, guess I need to believe that. Second thing, he acted or reacted out of fear. He heard the lie and he became afraid. And nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, when we believe a lie, the result is fear. Because that's how the enemy wants us to live our life. In fear. All of the time. He wants us to live in fear. First Timothy 1.7, check this out. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So the Holy Spirit does not give us fear. God says over and over in his word, do not be afraid, right? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power and love and self-control. Now check this out. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you, VBS. Right? (laughs) By the way, quick little plug. October 29th, we're going to be starting a series on the Holy Spirit. Y'all need to be here for it. It's going to be amazing. All right? One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. So what we have here, when we react in fear, we have lost self-control. Fear and self-control are opposing forces. We cannot have self-control when we are reacting out of fear. They are two opposing things. Fear, Satan, self-control, Holy Spirit. They don't intertwine, y'all. They're opposing forces. And so when we believe the lie... And then we react out of fear. We have lost self-control. 
And we are no longer operating with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You can't do both. We, we think we can. But what we've done in that moment, when we react out of self-control, we've taken God out of the equation and we've put it all on us. And any time we put it all on us, we better be afraid because we're not up to the task. Praise God, we don't have to be. We have the Holy Spirit in and through us, working for us on our behalf. But when we remove him, we've lost all that control that he's given us. And we operate out of fear. And we find ourselves where Elijah is. And it leads me to the third one. The third reason he is where he is. He is where he is because he believed the lie. He reacted out of fear. And because he put himself all alone. He isolated himself from everybody else. It says, going on in the story in verse 4, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Are you kidding me? Think about this. Think about his, his journey here for a second. Elijah has spent three and a half years on this crucible, being fed by ravens, drinking from the brook, seeing this miracle with this widow of the flour and the oil just never running out, raising a boy from the dead, seeing fire fall from heaven, destroying 450 prophets of Baal, running faster than the chariot. And here he is saying, I'm all alone. There's nothing left. Y'all, if you haven't heard me say it before, join a community group. Join a community group. You, trust me, you need it. We all need it. Because otherwise, we are going to find ourselves just like Elijah, sitting under a broom tree in the wilderness, saying that, God, I'm all alone. Just take my life. Seriously. We will get to that place if we walk this walk of faith out by ourselves. That's why the word says, don't forsake the gathering of the people. Come together. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. We have Sundays, and it's great, but we need it all seven days of the week. Y'all, we have community groups for men, 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, a Zoom Wednesday afternoons. We ladies, Wednesday evenings, ladies, Thursday morning, ladies, Thursday evening. Our ladies need a lot of them. All right, come on. We have a young adult one that Hannah and Rushton, who's about to shave his head in Jesus' name, hosts on Thursday nights. Listen, there's opportunity. Is it convenient? No, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We try and make it as convenient as possible. You've got to make the choice. All right? Join a community group. It will keep you from the broom trees in the wilderness. Because when we go alone, it is just a, the enemy has a field day. It's a field day. And it's boom, boom, boom. Lie, 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 lie. And then fear, 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 fear. And depression comes in. Suicidal thoughts come in. We want to quit. All those things. Man, one thing that I love about our church, when someone is in need, we rally. We rally here. You got, you got to be part of the community. Join a community group. Well, James, it's already four or five weeks in. It doesn't matter. Y'all, our, our group's been meeting for four weeks. We've just now finished John chapter one, okay? <laughs> got some chatty Cathy's up in our, in our group. And I love it. It's great. You can join whenever you want. But you need to be a part. You really need to be a part. If you're wondering again what those times are, call Hannah this week. She'll, she'll make sure to get you connected into a group. 
All right. On a practical level, how did Elijah get here? How do we get to these places where we find ourselves under this broom tree? Because after great victories, we're vulnerable. After great victories, we are vulnerable. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, if you, if you grew up in church and went to summer camp, right? Anything like that where you had a mountaintop Jesus experience, it's, it's so hard to come back into the real world because we've, we've given off all this, you know, emotion. We're physically tired. And the whole time we were in that place, sadly, the world has been spinning. The world doesn't stop for us when we're having these mountaintop experiences with the Lord. And we have to just jump back in. And it's like this, we're jumping onto a fast-moving uh, escalator. And, and like our ledge just come out from underneath us. And the enemy's ready to pounce because that fire that the Lord put in our heart, all he wants to do is just snuff it out. I put it out. So he's ready to pounce. And Elijah in this moment is tired. He's had this huge victory, right? He's had this huge victory. And he's vulnerable. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Okay? Notice here Elijah's words. I'm all alone. Like, woe is me, God. And then when, <laughs> what Peter says is, nah. Nah, it ain't just you. Like, we listen, y'all, and, and I say this out of complete love, but we got to get over ourselves when we think we're the only ones where life is really hard, all right? The devil hates all of us. The devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy all of us, right? You ain't special, right? I'm not special. He hates me just as much as he hates you. Church dismissed. Go ahead. You can see you next Sunday. What'd you learn at church today? Well, the devil wants to kill all of us, right? But he does. But he wants to tell you that, no, 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 it's just you. I really just hate you. But he hates all of us. He hates all of us. So after great victories, we are vulnerable. But I want to say this. Let's just take a moment here. I felt like the Lord put this on my heart. If you are going on the women's weekend retreat in two weeks. Will you just put your hand in the air? Just raise it and keep it up. Keep it up. Don't put it down. Okay. I saw you. Don't put it down, Jessica. Um, See, so you get your name called out when you put it down. Okay. You can put it down now. Here's what I want to say to you ladies. Get to the retreat. Because a lot of times, before the fire falls is when we're vulnerable. The enemy sees it on the calendar. He knows it's coming. And listen, I, as I as sure as I'm standing here, I've told this to Valerie, she agrees, there's going to be fire falling at that weekend retreat. There's going to be chains broken. Hearts are going to be healed. Miracles are going to happen. It's going to be powerful. So ladies, get to the retreat. Whatever the enemy tries to throw at you in these next two weeks, see it for what it is. It's him trying to stop you from experiencing the fire that's going to fall in St. Augustine. Okay? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 4. Reread what we already, already read. Just get back into the story of Elijah. 
says, Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then, verse 5, he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And, for the food, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So Elijah's saying all these things to the Lord. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm a failure. I'm no better than my ancestors. It didn't work. I killed all these prophets and Jezebel's still after me. Like, I've totally failed. Just, just kill me now. I'm done. Right? What we call that today is that Elijah is having himself a good old-fashioned pity party, right? He's having himself a good old-fashioned pity party. And, you know, I, I love, I love my daughters. Like, I love them hard, right? My family is the most important thing in my life. I love my girls. But when they throw themselves a pity party, I'm like, nah. I'm like, nah, we're not doing this, you know? My first reaction is, you're fine, right? <laughs> you're fine. And we, say, we tell them over and over again, when you act like this, you are the one that is missing out on all the fun that's happening in the other room. And the thing is, though, kids, they kind of get a pass, right? They're children, right? They're still growing up. They're not mature yet to that point. So we have to parent them up out of those moments. But adults, <laughs> when we throw ourselves a pity party... Y'all, it ain't a good look, right? It ain't a good look. I'm just telling you. In case you didn't know, when you throw a pity party and you leave the room, ain't no one talking good about you. Right? It's like, oh, Lord. And if you ever notice that other people don't throw us pity parties, no one's ever going to get it. Let's throw James a pity party today, right? He's been doing so good and everyone else deserves it. No, we throw pity parties for ourselves, right? And it's usually a party of one, right? The, the invitations got lost in the mail on our pity parties. And what I love about the Lord here in this moment is he doesn't even entertain the lies of this pity party. He doesn't even entertain them. He doesn't address them. And, and, and just as we go on, I'll tell you now, he never does. He never addresses the pity party that Elijah is throwing for himself. You know what he does do? He gives him rest and he gives him food. He gives him rest and he gives him food, right? Yeah. Amen to that, right? And you know what, what's great? Up until this point, Elijah has been eating from ravens. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, like it wasn't ribeye, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what kind of meat they were bringing him. He wasn't getting fed by a widow who was on, on the verge of death when he met her. He was getting fed bread from an angel. Like Jesus is going, I'm going to give you that good stuff now, all right? All right it wasn't day-old bread. It was McDonald Urban Farm sourdough bread, all right? Mm. That's right. If you know, you know, right? I'm going to be in... Okay, sure, yeah, all right. 
All right, open mic, apparently, at Beaches Chapel, right? <laughs> I love it. But he gave him good food to eat, and then he gave him rest. And in a world that tells us we have to go, 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 do, 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 get, 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 consume, 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 we feel like we are not allowed to rest or we are failing everybody around us. But do you all know that one of the most spiritual things that we can do in our walk of faith is to rest? It is one of the most spiritual things that we can do is to just stop and rest and trust that actually God has us more than we have ourselves. And praise God, we do, I want to tell y'all, we live in, in the, the, the church verbiage, if, if you don't know, is pro-rest. And I think for a long time it wasn't, but I'm grateful now with the position that I have that, no, you rest, like take care of yourself. It is a spiritual discipline that we need to be better at. And it's no wonder that the world tells us, don't you dare do that, or you're going to get left behind, you're going to look lazy, blah, 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 whatever, whatever the enemy tries to tell us. But rest is vital, it's vital. And it, we see that here. Elijah is vulnerable. He's being attacked. He wants to die. God doesn't address any of the lies. He just says, you need to go to sleep. Just go to sleep. He's like, you're hangry? Nothing I say to you now is even going to get through anyway? Right? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Kids, we're going to get takeout. Mom's going to rest. All right? I'm going to back off that one real quick. Didn't get the reaction I thought it was going to. All right? And was like, I don't know what you're saying, James. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. But he knows, like, nothing's going to get through. Just take a nap, man. Eat some good bread. And then in verse 9, after he does this, the Lord said to him, I love this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. False. And now they are trying to kill me. What God's saying is just get it out, Elijah. Get it out. Get it out. What are you doing here? Again, God doesn't address the lies like he's the only one left. Remember our good friend Obadiah who saved 100 prophets in two different caves and fed them? And then he, and God's going to go on to tell him later that there's actually 7,000 that he saved. So he's absolutely not alone. But God doesn't even address that. He says, get it out, Elijah. And here's what's so important, y'all. It's not that we ignore our feelings, even when they're wrong, which most of the time they are. It's about who we tell our feelings to. And what's great about God in this moment and why he is so patient and so loving for us is he already knows why Elijah is there, all right? He knows how to fix him, but he wants Elijah to get it out. He's saying, Elijah, talk to me, right? Talk to me. Don't talk to that person over there. Don't talk to that person over there. Don't talk to yourself all day, right, with this inner monologue that we all know what that's about, right? We have this amazing conversation about everyone else is wrong and we're right in our heads and we never talk to God about it. God's saying, empty it out, Elijah. What you got? Talk to me. We're, I'm not going to entertain those lies, but we need to get them out of you. So talk to me about them. I'm here and I'm going to listen, even though you're believing in empty threats. Thank you, Jesus, that he listens to us even when, well, even when it's hard. He says, I'm the only one left. Here's the thing about pity parties, y'all. When we throw them, we exaggerate everything. You notice that? Like, I'm going to throw a pity party because I stubbed my toe, but in my head, my entire leg just fell off. 
right? And now I will never be able to walk for the rest of my life. We exaggerate everything. I'm the only one left. I have failed. Verse 10, God says, go out and stand uh, before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him again. And he asked him in a gentle whisper. Is that not just a beautiful picture of God in our lives? He can talk to us in the earth and the wind and the fire. But he knows in those moments, it's a gentle whisper. It's going to get through. And he says again, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's like, don't you see my power? You know me. What are you talking about? What are you doing here? Elijah says again in verse 14, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Let's just pause here for a second. Go back the same way you came. Elijah was running for his life, right? The queen had just said, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And he takes off. He was afraid and he fled. And God tells him, go back the exact same way that you came. Now, chances are the way that he came is filled with people looking for him because that's the way that he went. So they're following the trail. So this doesn't seem like a very safe way back. But what is God telling him? By telling him to go back the same way. He's saying, Elijah, you don't got to worry about a thing. I want you to go back the exact same way. And I'm going to show you that I'm going to protect you. Go back the exact same way. I'm not afraid of those after you. They don't have any authority over you. You might believe that lie, but I don't. And so go back the exact way that you came. And I'm going to show you how they can't touch you. It says, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Heziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Mahaloah, I think, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Heziel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So here it is again. God doesn't address the pity party. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't even raise his voice. He talks to him in a gentle whisper. And he gives him rest. He gives him food. And then he gives him a job to do. So it's not about, listen, I, I haven't found it in Scripture. And it's, I certainly don't remember it in my own life. But I don't know of any time where God coddles us. And says, they're there. You're right. There is no one left. You've done so good. You don't deserve this. Like, that's not what God does. He doesn't coddle us. And 
I, I just kind of dawned on me as, as I was preparing this part of the sermon. That's exactly what the world wants to happen to them, especially the younger generation. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some toes here, but it's the truth. They just want to be coddled and be told, they're there, whatever you feel is good for you, and it's okay. But here's the thing about that. When we get coddled, we don't grow, and there's no maturity. We stay immature when all we want and get is to be coddled all the time. That's why God doesn't operate that way. He wants to raise us out of those moments. He says, okay, I'm not going to address that. I am going to give you rest, and I am going to give you food so that you have strength, but what I'm going to give you is a purpose. I'm going to give you a job so to get out from underneath this broom tree and get moving, right? Let's stretch you. Let's grow you so that you don't act like this anymore. He's a good father, and he wants us to mature and grow. But when all we want from the Lord is that they're there, it's okay, we will lack maturity our entire lives. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to band come back up. And I, have, I, have, I, want to, I want to talk about this story. We're going to shift to Jesus now. And this is some evidence of Jesus not coddling. And there was a moment to, for someone to throw a pity party. It was, this is one of those. And it's John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, and check this out, knew he had been ill for a long time. All right, Jesus knew before the guy says a word. He asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus doesn't say, oh man, that's terrible. 38 years, that's a long time. I'm so sorry, they're there, coddle, coddle. And honestly, like, he kind of could here, right? 38 years, invalid, other people go, getting in the pool before him. And don't confuse what I'm saying to say that Jesus isn't concerned about us, because he absolutely is. But how he shows his concern is different than sometimes how we want. He's so concerned with us that he wants more for us. So in this moment, what this guy saying? He doesn't answer yes when Jesus says, do you want to be well? He says, I can't. He's living under the broom tree. It just happens to be at a pool. And Jesus says, get up. I got a job for you. It's to pick up your mat and to walk. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm going to heal you. There's a big, big difference there. Listen, y'all, the truth is, under the broom tree, the pity party, pity parties are dirty liars, and they get us absolutely nowhere. We sit in them, and we don't move. But we serve a God. In those moments, if we will listen, will speak to us with a gentle whisper. And he'll give us food from angels. 
and he'll give us rest. And then he won't let us stay there. He'll say, I have something for you to do. I have a job for you to do. Go do it. Pick up your mat. It's time to get out from under this broom tree and go walk. But will we receive it? Will we listen? The truth is, when you know Jesus, there's never an opportunity that is valid for us to throw ourselves a pity party ever again. Because God's got us. Jesus died on the cross and is risen again so that we never have to sit under that broom tree and never say, God, I'm all alone. I failed. He says, no, I love you and I have saved you. You are valuable to me and you are not alone. There's a whole kingdom waiting for you. There's believers with you. But you gotta get up and take your mat and walk. Can't feel sorry for yourself. Get it all out. Tell me everything that's in your heart. But then let's move, let's go. And if that's you this morning, if you feel like you're the one sitting under the broom tree, you feel alone, you walked in going, it's all me. And you believed a lie, you've, you've walked in fear, and you're tired. I'm here to tell you, that's not what God wants for you. It's not what God wants for you. Let's stand up this morning. And I know it, I know, I know that's, that some of us in here, we just feel like we're alone. We're defeated. And it's because we've believed the lies, maybe not even realizing it, but we believe the lies and we're walking in fear. We're walking in fear. Now's the time to remedy that. And we want to pray for you this morning. So we could have uh, Dawn and Joanne, Sal, Carmel, if y'all could come up, Rushton, Hannah, Seth, Haven, y'all would come up. We just want to take a few moments to pray for y'all. And as I say every time we open up the altar for prayer, I want to say this. Don't stay in your seat if you need prayer because you're afraid of what anyone else is going to think. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. We've all been under the broom tree. We've all thrown the pity party. Every single one of us in this room, we're all guilty of it. So let's not stay there. So we're going to worship and if that's you, just come on up. Father, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you're patient with us, that you're kind with us in those moments where we, we get frustrated maybe with other people or whatever the case may be. Lord, you're just not. You speak to us with a gentle whisper. You give us rest when we need it. You, you still see purpose in us when we feel like failures. Elijah felt like a failure. And he said, no, I got a job for you to do. Lord, when you come on the scene, you don't coddle us, you heal us. We're grateful for that, Lord. So Father, for all of us in here that are under the broom tree, that are walking in fear, that have believed the lies, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break that. You would speak to each one of us in our hearts and remind us of who you are in our lives, what you think about us, Lord, what you have for us. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. We love you. You are a great and wonderful God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship.